Welcome everyone to the Take It Home Podcast. I'm your host, John LaRocca. And on today's episode, we're going to remember the genius or the leaping Lanny Poffo. Um, I had a whole different idea for Take It Home Podcast this week. But as I record today, February 2nd, is the day we found out that Lanny Poffo passed away. So I felt like it was... I had to do a show about Lanny Poffo. Now, I'm not going to say he's my favorite wrestler and all that. And, you know, but Lanny Poffo was a big part of my childhood, which my childhood was when I think my, you know, my childhood was professional wrestling. I loved it. I love it to this day. But growing up, wrestling was on every weekend and. And then some on Monday nights and, and it was always there for me and it still is there for me to this day. And this last few weeks, the wrestling community has suffered a lot of losses. Of course, the tragic death of Jay Briscoe, um, we, uh, long time AWA, uh, preliminary wrestler. Sod Buster Kenny J passed away today as well. Um, just a very sad time for the wrestling community. And when I heard the news about Lanny Poffo, just really brought up a lot of memories uh, of watching him growing up. When I started watching wrestling, Lanny Poffo was in the WWF, and he was still leaping Lanny Poffo. He was mainly, um, you know, usually on a losing end of uh, a match, either with a tag team partner who was, uh, you know, back then they called them preliminary wrestlers. I didn't know they were called jobbers or enhancement talent back then. They were just the preliminary wrestlers. And to me, Lenny Poffo was, you know, the top of the preliminary wrestlers, right? Um, He would get in the ring. He would read his poem on a Frisbee and throw it out the crowd. I thought that was very... Very interesting. But what I liked about Lenny Poffo was I liked the high flying, you know, the drop kicks, which is, you know, my favorite move in wrestling. I love the drop kick. Um, um, when it's executed perfectly, it's just one of the most beautiful moves in wrestling. And I love how everyone has their own style of doing it. And I always just get a kick of people doing drop kicks that I don't expect doing drop kicks like Ric Flair or, you know, uh Earthquake John Tenta. I just loved like various different wrestlers to perform a dropkick. And early on, one of the, the people that did it early on that caught my attention was Lanny Poffo. And he also did a lot of other things. He did a lot of springboards off the ropes, which you know no one was doing. Uh, he was the first one I seen do the moonsault, though he mainly stepped to the second rope, put his uh, foot on one foot on the top rope, and would do a backflip. Um, later on, got uh, just like a a year later, um, Great Muda would step that up big time and do the you know top rope moonsault, and of course also Lanny Poffo had that you know jumping forward senton, which is uh, um, the early version of the Swanton Swanton bomb that Jeff Hardy uh, popularized in the United States. Uh, before that, the Great Sasuke in Japan, um, and Lanny Poffo was the first wrestler that I remember changing gimmicks 
within the same company. <laughs> because as he was leaping Lenny Poffo, the poet reading a uh, good guy wrestler, um, throwing Frisbee out to the crowd, giving a good effort but losing, rarely ever winning on television. One day... These videos start airing of him. He's in this, his cap and gown. And he's reading his poetry. And he's very, you know, come off very heelish. And it was a very strange time when I saw this. I'm like, why is this going on? This, this, this doesn't feel right to me, right? So it was very, very odd. Um, and then, of course, that led into the genius character, which he is very famous for. So... But let's look at Lenny Poffo. Um, he's, uh, you know, his father's famous wrestler, Angelo Poffo. And his brother, who became one of the biggest stars in wrestling, Macho Man Randy Savage. And I remember, gosh, it was around 1994. I ended up getting randomly this dirt sheet. It wasn't a Wrestling Observer. It wasn't a Pro Wrestling Torch. It was called something else. I don't remember what it was called. And they must have bought, I'm guessing, addresses from people that subscribed to Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Because at the time, I was a Pro Wrestling Illustrated subscriber. I, I was a golden golden subscriber. I, I got the trio. I got the Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I got the wrestler. I got the inside wrestling. So around 1994, I got this newsletter and in this newsletter there's all this news about the pro wrestling business it wasn't like written like pro wrestling illustrator talking about feuds and there's these comments from wrestlers who they're feuding with and promoting upcoming matches or you know they're telling a story within the pages of pro wrestling illustrated this was talking about the business openly and i remember like Towards the end of this newsletter, it's like, oh, did you like this newsletter? Um, you know, are you curious to know more about the inner workings of wrestling? And I started listing some, like, you know, some, some fact, you know, some facts about certain people. And one of them was the genius Lanny Poffo is the brother of Macho Man Randy Savage. And I remember thinking, like, what? And then I started like looking at their pictures, <laughs> and sure enough, they look just alike. And I could see how they're they're brothers. And I, you know, to, it just I don't know how I did not see that as a kid growing up. They're damn near identical in many ways with their face. You know, you could just see. And then the dad too. I was just watching a match today. I was, you know, I. What I do is usually when a wrestler passes away, I like to go on YouTube and just watch some cl- matches of theirs and just kind of it's like my way of honoring them. And I went and found like a very early match of uh, of Lanny Poffa's career. So he's about, about one year in the business, I believe. This is in Toronto, 1975. He was teamed with his dad, Angelo Poffo, and they were the tag team champions for. Big time wrestling, Cheeks Detroit uh, promotion. And at the time, uh, the Sheik was working with Toronto and he was on the top of Toronto for many years. And the Poffos, 
Angelo and uh, Lanny were the tag team champions, and they wrestled Irish Mickey Doyle and Billy Red Lions, and it's a really fun match. And it's you can you know Lanny is green, but you can see he's just like a freak athlete, like with the the gymnastics and stuff. Like he can smoothly just do a backflip, handstand, and backflip, like like tying his shoes, like how easy it was. Like it's just amazing, and. And so it was a very early on match because he just debuted in 1974. He retired. I looked it up. I, I was wondering when he retired. I think officially retired in 1995. And we'll talk about that shortly here. But, <laughs> yeah, of course, he ended up working independence and stuff and doing stuff here and there. So, I mean, official, official, like, on the road all the time, retired, I think it was early on in the 90s. But, you know, he wrestled for... 1974 to technically 2020 like amazing right um his father angelo Poffo started an outlaw promotion in knoxville in 1978 icw of course famous stories of uh them competing with jerry jarrett's memphis wrestling and of course icw you know promos of Poffos, randy savage and with uh challenge jerry lawler bill dundee dutch mantel etc and you know they competed but it was the clear winner always was jerry jared and eventually in 1984 the poffles folded and then they worked together with jared to do some business in 1994 some really exciting stuff uh definitely go out and check out footage of the poffos in memphis 1994 especially the poffos savage and lanny Versus uh, uh, the Rock and Roll Express, uh, uh, Savage famously power driving Ricky Wharton through the table, which back then no one did, so it was a shock. Um, you know, Randy Savage's matches with uh, Jerry Lawler, just fantastic stuff. And eventually, uh, right before ICW folded, Lanny Poffo ended up going over to Mid South Wrestling. Uh, for Bill Watts and was, uh, you know, kind of a just underneath Bayface there. And eventually when Randy Savage got signed to the WWF in 1985, the macho, uh, uh, Lanny Poffa followed his brother. And for years he was just, for four years, he was just the the poem reading Bayface, you know, underneath on the opening match and always gave an effort and, you know, read the poetry. That's what he was. That was his gimmick, and that's what he was known for. Um, in nineteen eighty-seven, around November, I believe, Saturday Night's main event, there was a big battle royal that Andre Giant won. And one of the famous spots in that match is when Andre's giving headbutts to leaping Lenny Poffo, and 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 Lenny Poffo gigs and bleeds and get and then Andre throws him over the top rope. And, you know, at the time, you know, d- blood was very rare. So that was a big deal at the time. And he continued just to be working openers. And I, one of my favorite things that I always, always love to watch, tapes, I used to get tapes of these, you know, just the house shows. Massacre Garden, Boston Garden, The Spectrum, LA Sports Arena. And I loved it when the network was posting all that stuff. Because I like to see all the house shows. I like to see those cards. I like to see from the beginning to the end how they build to the main event or 
a lot of cases in WWF, the main event will be in the middle. But I enjoyed like the openers, uh, and there was it was uh, Haku and Pafo, Lanny Pafo, and a really really fun opener. I wish I had the date, but there's so many matches where Lanny Pafo was in the opener and always put on a really entertaining match to open the open the show. They set the pace for the for the rest of the evening, and that's they, he did his job well, and. He had a very long career in the WWF. And then as I get to the point earlier, all of a sudden here he is on talking, doing poems with a cap and gown. And I was so confused. Why? Why is this happening? And he starts calling himself the genius. And I was like, why is Lanny Poffa going bad, right, as a kid? And then, you know, he's winning some matches on television and they're, you know, featuring him a bit. And soon he becomes like an advisor to Mr. Perfect. And that was so strange to me. Um, when they first hooked these two up, I was like, this doesn't work. I don't, why would Mr. I was, you know, I'm not, I'm not thinking like kayfabe reason. I'm thinking like, you know, this is real. And I'm like, why would Mr. Perfect want anything to do with this guy? This genius guy, right? I liked Mr. Perfect a lot. And I just didn't understand why he needed the genius by his side. And this led to a, uh, a match, the biggest match in Lanny Poffa's career, uh, November 25th, uh, 1989 Saturday night's main event versus Hulk Hogan. Um, and the genius Lanny Poffo beat Hulk Hogan by count out. I remember I was so, Angry. And the reason why he won by count out because, you know, Mr. Perfect got involved and, you know, Hogan was not focused on the genius and more enraged with, with Perfect. Thus, thus, uh, Poffo ended up winning by count out. And I remember when the match was announced because Saturday Night's event was a big deal. I mean, I didn't really understand. It was like quarterly. <laughs> I literally every week would get the TV guide out. Go to every Saturday and just see if Saturday's main event was on scheduled, right? I'd be like, oh, Saturday Night Live, uh, Saturday Night Live. That's how I knew. That's how I kept track to find out when Saturday's main event was starting. Of course, they would promote on television, but I didn't get that. I was just like, okay, it's going to be on. When, when does it show up on Saturday, right? I had to watch it. And Saturday Night's main events were still a big deal at that point in time. And Hulk Hogan wrestling on television was a, was a very big deal. But his opponents was the genius Lanny Poffo. And I was like, oh, why is he? He's going to destroy Lanny Poffo. This is going to be the easiest win in Hulk Hogan's career. And I was enraged when he, Hulk Hogan lost. I was like, there's no way. And then the shock of all shocks that same episode, because Mr. Perfect stole the WWE title. And... There they are later in the show. The genius standing there with Mean Gene Oakland and and Mr. Perfect has a hammer and he's smashing the winged belt, the world title, and I just could not believe it. They're destroying the world title. It was, I was like, what are they going to do? You know, and looking back, because I had to tune in. You know, I had to tune in to see what's going to happen next, right? That's superstars. 
the following. I Monday they covered it, but they on prime time a bit. But then it was like Superstars was like had to watch Superstars. What's gonna happen? And Hulk Hogan does this really passionate promo, and he has the belt, the broken belt in the in his uh, in his arms. But then he like throws it aside. He's like, I always have a second. I'm like, what? looking back i'm like wait a second this could have got some heat you know it got heat for a bit but once hogan just has a bell it's like oh well you know but he was kind of lost there in my opinion so perfect and um in the genius they they end up working together you know they ended up they ended up making a very good twosome and in around 1990 after bruce Beefcake beat mr perfect and mr perfect was no longer perfect though he you know, I didn't see the house show matches of, you know, Hogan versus perfect. So I, I, this is the first time I saw perfect lose. And I remember friend, friend, Billy Kadia called me. Cause we, I didn't watch WrestleMania uh, six live. I, you know, had to wait to get the videotape. And I remember my dad calling me in the next morning telling me, Hey, did you, Hulk Hogan lost to ultimate warrior. But that day of the pay-per-view, my buddy Billy Kita, who was watching live, and I don't know why I did not go over there and watch it live with him. What the? I must have been doing something, maybe playing baseball or something. But I remember him calling me and just going nuts. He's like screaming, Mr. Perfect's not perfect no more. Mr. Perfect's not perfect no more. Super excited about that. And then this led to... The genius feuding with Beefcake, Beefcake cutting Genius's hair. Genius started wearing a, a wig. That old deal, uh, you know. He's very and of course at the, around this time, the genius Danny Poff was really playing up the effeminate, effeminate character, the gay mannerisms, um, and you know, he, looking back, watching his matches with today's eyes. You know, what an entertaining character that was and still having really good matches. Even just his little TV matches that we'd have on television and where he would just do jobs and, you know, always making his opponent look good, doing a great job with that. What a what a what a classic talented worker Lenny Poffa was. And then since September around because after WrestleMania six, the association between the genius and Mr. Mr. Perfect ended when Bobby the Brain Heenan was put with Mr. as Mr. Perfect's manager, which was even a, a, a better complex. Because Bobby Heenan, the greatest manager of all time, um, you know, this was a lot of vibes of Bachwinkle and Heenan from the AWA. Um, I wish this lasted longer, but you know, Heenan had his neck issues and he was slowing down his managing days, and you know. Eventually, he stepped aside, and and John Tolis was brought in as brought in as a coach, and that didn't work at all. As much much rather I seen the genius come back to be uh, uh, Mr. Perfect's manager, but Mr. Perfect ended up uh, sorry, excuse me, Lenny Pavel ended up finding a new act to manage, and that was the Beverly Brothers, which is Bowen Blake Beverly, the former Destruction Crew in the AWA. Wayne the Train Bloom and Mean Mike Enos. And I will tell you, I hated the Beverly Brothers gimmick. I liked the talent. I liked Wayne Bloom. I liked Mike Enos. I loved the Destruction Crew. But when they became these 
rich guys from, I think it was Connecticut, the blonde hair, the purple and white, these goofy capes they had. It just, it didn't fit them. They didn't even look comfortable in it. They still put on good matches because they're talented guys and they were a good team. But it was mid-card off the bat. As the destruction crew or a, a takeoff of that gimmick, I think they could have been bigger stars in the WWF because Wayne Bloom was a, was a really good talker, very underrated talker. And they had this skit, him and Mike Enos, when they would do interviews, promos in um, AWA, when Eric Bischoff or... Larry Nelson, I think at this time, I think it's mostly Eric Bischoff was doing the backstage interview. He would go to ask Mike Enos a question first, but Wayne Bloom would always cut off Mike Enos. Goes, Don't worry, Mike, I got this. And he would do the promo. And then, you know, it was eventually going to build to probably a split between his two and a feud. But of course, AWA ended up closing down in, in uh, early 1991. But the genius was hooked up with them and, and, all three of the guys are very talented. I just, and the genius gimmick worked great for Lanny Poffo. Just the Beverly Brothers gimmick did not work for Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. And it just, like, they were stuck in the mid card, feuding with the Bushwhackers for a very long time. Um, I think the biggest match they had was challenging for the tag team titles against uh, um, the Natural Disasters at Wembley Stadium, 1992 SummerSlam. Um, there's, you know, that was their biggest match. Of course, probably their best match on WWE television was when they wrestled the Steiner brothers in January 1993 at the Royal Rumble in Sacramento. And the Steiner brothers beat them in their very first WWF pay-per-view um, and their pay-per-view debut. So that was a, a really good match. But the WWE brothers, just, they were just kind of there, just the mid-card team. And Genius was, you know, doing his thing. Um, <laughs> I think they got like they said the, the forever feud with the Bushwhackers that just you know every time I look at a house show result and the Pro Wrestling Illustrated or or the wrestler Inside Wrestling or any magazine at the time, it felt like these guys were always wrestling each other in house shows and they the Bushwhackers brought that the nerd Jameson in and it was just even then I was just wasn't into it there you know even that even though i was i set a lot of goofiness and wrestling at the time as a kid but i remember like not digging the whole jameson beverly brothers bushwhackers beverly brothers program so it just so he kind of just managed the beverly brothers and eventually 92 that was it and then I think he was just doing some indies and doing some appearances here and there. And finally, when when uh, Randy Savage left WWF and signed with uh, WCW, in 1985, they, they, they signed Lanny Poffo. And it's a fascinating story because at the time, Randy Savage somehow, some way, got the rights or the approval to use the gorgeous George gimmick. And the idea for Lenny Poffo in WCW in 1985 was 
Lanny Poffa was going to do a, a version of the Gorgeous George gimmick, and I think believe he'd be called Gorgeous George. And he dyed his hair blonde, and he was going to, you know, he's, you know, getting himself in great shape, and then it was just dropped. And, but the checks kept coming for five years, or, or yeah, for five years, nearly five years. The checks from WCW would keep coming. He would call, and I, I was just reading just recently that no answers were <laughs> returned, and but he still kept giving it, getting a check. Uh, and what do you? What's the guy going to do? I'm still getting the check for doing nothing. Probably made decent coin to do nothing and just enjoy life. Until it finally just runs out. And it eventually did in 1999. And it's just insane that this happened. And maybe it was just something that, you know, Randy Savage fought for. Like, if you want me to be here, I can easily go back to WWF if I wanted to. Take care of my brother, too, you know? And one thing I learned from when Randy Savage passed, and Lenny Poffo did a he did num- numerous interviews after his brother passed away. And you really got to know the man behind the macho man, right? And and their family bond was very tight. And they looked out for each other. I think inside so I think Randy Savage always looked out for, for Lanny, and that's why, you know, he was paid. You know, no one wanted to upset upset Randy and just, you know. WCW time was at the time was making good money and they're about to get even more money in 96, 97 to 98. So they weren't really concerned about a lot of stuff that they should have been concerned with. And of course, we know the the rest is history with WCW, but a very fascinating story. Like, can you imagine like they're paying me? I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm, I'm going fishing. I'm doing this. I'm doing writing poetry and I'm getting a paycheck for wrestling that I'm not even wrestling. I always just, just, that story is one of the wackiest stories in wrestling. And I don't know if uh, Eric Bischoff even touched that on his podcast he has. If he does, send me a a clip of it. I want to hear what he says. But then again, it is Eric Bischoff, and he'll spin his own narrative on it to, you know, make not make it sound like he was an idiot for doing it. But, like, you know, let the guy work. He wants to work. What's going on here? But at the same time, I mean, eventually Lanny Poff was like, probably like just, well, oh, well. Like I said, I'm living my life. I'm enjoying my life. I get a paycheck every week or two weeks, whatever they, how, whatever their paid structure was when they got paid. And, you know, very happy. So, so that's why I really wanted, I mean, I want to talk about Lanny Poffo here. I want to run it. I know he, I think it's good to, to uh, to recognize wrestlers like Lenny Poffo, um, never was the level started was his brother, but he was a very important part of wrestling, especially for my age group growing up. The genius character it is one of those characters you you forever remember. It was so over the top. <laughs> And he's just drive me nuts 
when he would just like his antics at ringside with Mr. Perfect. And then he would just be just flirtatious eyes to Mr. Perfect. It was just so crazy looking back and going back and watch some of that stuff. But he was fantastic. Fantastic performer. Um, even if you go, I, 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 I urge people to go go on YouTube, tap, type in Lanny Poffo, check out some of the stuff from ICW. Um, his work in Mid-South. There's some uh, Sam Houston Coliseum uh, for Paul Bosch uh, for Houston Wrestling Matches on YouTube. And check out Lenny Poffo outside the WWF. And I think you're going to be uh, really surprised by his work, his talent. Um, just amazing. I like that. Still, like him, just especially that match from, the, from Toronto, excuse me, 1975. On YouTube, that tag team match when he's teaming his dad. It's just amazing. Like he's like a cat. He could just do a, a backflip and a handstand, no problem. Like just 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 gracefully. Amazing athlete. So rest in peace to the genius Lenny Poffo. I hope uh he's up there. I'm sure him and Macho Man Randy Savage met and gave each other a big hug and saint and then angelo showed up as well so <clears throat> so yeah so a big tough tough week for um tough few weeks for excuse me for uh the wrestling community so again rest in peace lanny poffo rest in peace sodbuster excuse me sodbuster kenny J. And you know, again, rest in peace to the to to Jay Briscoe as well. Take care.